0: Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. Wow. What an awesome time in worship. Amen. I think we should encourage our worship team this morning. Hey, Mark. I think you should grab a mic and come up here. This is totally unplanned, which Mark loves possibilities and unplanned things, right? Yeah. We need to do one more song. Okay. Yeah. Yesterday was Pastor Jeremy's birthday. Yes. And today is Lauren's birthday. What? Let's have him stand up. Yeah, come on. I think you know the song we're going to sing. Here we go, everybody. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Birthday, Jeremy and Lauren. Harmony's happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Pastor Jeremy can now run for president. <laughs> Wow, we love both of you guys. I love one of you more than the other. <laughs> Hope that's not an offending thing to say, but it is true. <laughs> yes, make sure you give them a big hug, tell them that you love them. We are so blessed to have them uh, here. Uh, today, we are continuing a new series called Root to Fruit. Hey, are you a joyful person? Are you? Would your kids, on a scale of 1 to 10... Put you up over five or under five on the scale of just how joyful you are. How do you become a more joyful person? That we started talking about that last week. We're moving on to talking about that this week. Fruit of the Spirit. What is God turning you into? He wants you to become a joyful person. What is joy? I gave you a definition last week. If you weren't here last week, shame on you. But I'll give it to you again because I'm nice. All right. Uh, You can write this down. Joy is a permanent supernatural delight found only in Jesus permanent it's permanent supernatural it doesn't come from a good breakfast it's supernatural and it is a delight it's a permanent supernatural delight meaning it's not a thought it's not a conviction it's actually an experience and it's only found in Jesus Christ So when I say, are you a joyful person, I don't mean, are you having a pretty good day? You know, what I mean is, is there something that holds up your heart? Uh, If you think back to this past week, you probably had some medium days. You probably had maybe one really good day and you probably had maybe one really bad day. Were you joyful through it all? Was there something propping your heart up through it all? That's what it means to be a joyful person. I gave you three convictions last week that will fill your life with permanent joy. Uh, The first one was, I know Jesus will bring me safely to heaven, meaning you're saved. If you're not saved, you will not know the joy that Jesus has for you in this life. The other conviction was, I know Jesus will walk me through every trial, meaning no matter what you're suffering, you know he's there with you. And the third one is, I know Jesus is my source of eternal joy, meaning it's him. It's not the goodie bag, it's actually him. He produces the joy in me. I heard another definition that Uh, parallels my definition, but gives it a little uh, more, nuances it a little more. Pastor James McDonald said this, joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. And I think that's true. It's a supernatural delight that is found in the purposes of God, the person of God, and the people of God. If you want to be a more joyful person, you have to make it a discipline, a habit, a routine to delight yourself in the Lord. Today what we're talking about is what it means to worship Christ with joy. If you, on a weekly basis, come into the presence of God and sing with a grateful heart, it will change your life. Uh, The bad days won't tear everything down that you've been longing for. The good days that fail to satisfy you will no longer disillusion you because you have something better than your best days. Making joy a routine, coming into the presence of God on a regular basis and worshiping Christ with joy will make you a more joyful person. I don't know where you fall on the scale of one to ten. I'd like to think that your joy is off the charts. Uh, And if not, then God wants to help you get there. We're going to pray and then we will learn what it means to worship Christ with joy. Let's pray. Father, we do want to be happy. We do want to be comfortable. We want to feel secure. We want to know that we belong with a group of people who we like. We have all of these longings in our heart, but above it all, we want to just simply be joyful. We want to know that you are who you've said. You will do what you've promised. We want to know that you will work all things together for good. And Lord, too often we lose our joy. Show us what it means to make joy a habit. Show us what it means to seek you each week in a way that actually produces fruit in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can open up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 for the first verses. There's a few passages we'll go to today. How can I worship Christ with joy? Uh, Last week, we kind of answered the question, why? Why? Why do I have joy? And we answered the question, why? Today, we're going to go into detail on how. How do I worship God with joy? So everybody say, how? 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 It's good to know the question we're asking, and the question is, how? How do I worship Christ with joy? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you've read through the book of Hebrews, you know, uh, we don't exactly know who wrote it, but it's a book that is rich with Old Testament theology on worship. Uh, And it takes the Old Testament temple system and and all of the uh, heroes of the Old Testament and it shows how Jesus has fulfilled and transcended that whole system entirely. Which means when we worship Christ, we worship in the fullest biblical sense of the word. All of the Old Testament worship practices pointed to Christ. They showed that we need to draw near to God. That's what the temple was all about. There was a place where God was located and you can draw near to him and enter his presence and and actually have an encounter with the living God. And now when Christ came down, do you remember what happened? When he was crucified, he tore the curtain in the temple which showed that God's presence is open to each one of us. How? How? Through his son Jesus Christ. So, in this book, surrounded by all this rich theology on worship, it says this Let us consider how, consider means let us see, notice, observe, look closely at others. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So, I'm looking at other people and I'm doing something that spurs them on toward love. And good works. Then it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. What does that mean? Well, that just means that if you neglect to get together with the church family, it's impossible for you to obey the first half of this verse. You can't see, notice, observe, look closely at others when you're just not even there around them. So let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, meaning some people have habitually become absent in the church family, but encouraging one another. And I love this, as the days roll on, all the more, meaning I'm increasing in my devotion to the family of faith, to helping others. And it says all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you see the capital D, the day, it means the return of Christ. Uh, It means the day of the Lord. It means the day when everything will be uh, changed forever because our, our Lord comes back. There's this huge crescendo, this increasing volume in our worship because we know that he's coming back. So jot this down. Number one, if you want to worship Christ with joy, number one, you have to deal with worship killers. You have to deal with things that kill your worship. If you don't deal with things that kill your worship, you won't appear before God on a weekly basis with joy. Um, And this verse challenges us to that. Hey, consider how to not neglect your worship and how when you're there to actually accomplish something that makes the experience great for God and for other people. It says that Let us consider how to stir up one another. Other translations uh, render that provoke, stir up, spur, provoke. It's a strong word. Um, It could actually, in the negative sense, mean to start an altercation. So like walking up to someone, pushing them in the chest. You want to go? Okay, that's the negative sense. So what does that look in the positive sense? It's forceful. It's strong. It's stimulating. You're doing something that changes uh, other people. I've got a picture here of a spur. Uh, That is what you are supposed to be. When you come to church, you are supposed to be that. Uh, and, And what I mean is, your worship, your encouragement, your level of engagement in the experience moves other people forward. Can that be said of you? Does what you bring to church stir up others to love? They see you and they're like, God is awesome. They they hear you and they're like, I am doing a good job. Um, We're supposed to stir up others. Because of my presence in church, others should feel loved, encouraged, and challenged in their worship and their work. Can that be said of you? Not if you're absent, not if you're absent, meaning if you're not here, if it's not a habit, if it's not a discipline, um, it's impossible for you to do what God has called you to do in worship, which is why it says here, no brainer, don't neglect to meet together. Don't become negligent in your worship. Uh, The word neglect means to leave behind or abandon. How many of you know somebody who was raised in the church, but they've left it behind? Raise your hand if you know someone. They were raised in the church. And and they've left it behind. They've neglected it. They've abandoned it. And that is a huge concern. So many uh, high schoolers, junior year, senior year, they go off to college and then they just neglect, leave behind, abandon what their their parents have handed to them. Uh, Their love grows cold. And we're warned here not to let that happen. So we have to deal with worship killers. If I had to make a list of the four top reasons people don't worship these aren't in your notes, these are bonus notes. I would say this, I would say four top reasons people don't worship. First one is this, I'll worship when my work is all done. Work, work, work kills worship. Does God have strong feelings about us when we take our work to an unhealthy level and we just don't stop working? Does he have any strong feelings about that? In the Bible, does he have strong feelings about a person who just won't stop working to worship God at all? Like there was this thing called the Sabbath in the Old Testament. What happens if people broke it? Capital crime. Well, that seems a little harsh. Why would people put? Why would God put someone to death for working on a certain day? Because if you can't stop working to worship, your work has become an idol. It's your new God. And you're trusting your effort to bring security and satisfaction to to your soul and that is a deal God will not make with you. God has strong feelings about your work and if in your heart you tell yourself, well I'll worship when my work is done. I'm just so busy around the house. I just don't have time to get it all done. I just I just have to get it all done. So much to do. Can't even get to church. And then when you're burnt out and your work has not accomplished what you trusted it to do, you're learning the truth about your God, which means you were never meant to work him. He is meant to work in you. It takes faith to come to church when you could be doing other things and to invite God to do a work in you that only he can do. Hey, has your work become an idol? Is it driving you away from worship? God has very strong feelings about the person, about each one of us when we will not stop working to worship. Uh, second, I'll worship when my pain is gone. Pain can drive us away from worship, I'm hurt. I'm sick. I'll worship when I feel better. I'll worship when God takes my pain away. And, and we hold our worship hostage until God meets our demands. And that's sad because God wants to meet us in our misery. He wants to do a work in our pain. And when we end up bitter, when we end up bitter because we have walked away from God in our pain, we realize that God is the answer. To our suffering. He wants to suffer with us, and we have to come to him with our pain. Bring your pain to church. God wants it. Top four reasons people don't worship. I'll worship when my work is done. No, you won't. I'll worship when my pain is gone. Nope, you need to do that now. Uh, third, I'll worship when conflict is over, okay? I'll worship when conflict is over because I've been hurt by people, maybe people in the church. I've, I've got messed up relationships and And I just don't feel like being around other people because people are the problem. Yeah. That's true. But you're not perfect. You know that, right? You know that. Like, to some people, you're the problem. You know that, right? Tell me you know that. To some people, you are the problem. So getting away from people will not enhance your spiritual life, okay? Um, Less community, less joy. Every time. I'll be happier if I just get away from people. Less community, where you're all alone with your thoughts and your opinions and no one to push back on them, more misery. Less community, less joy. More community, more joy. That's a rule. So, I'll worship when conflict is over. No, you'll feel alone. You'll feel like no one cares about you. And then you'll realize God has given you a family. Uh, Fourth, I'll worship when my fun is over. I'll worship when I've got nothing better to do. I'm living it up. Church is boring. I'll worship when my fun is over. If I have nothing better to do, then I'll worship. Um, And then, when your heart is empty, because all of the promises of this life have failed to satisfy you, You will realize that you were made for something higher than the thrills of this world. When your heart is empty and at the end of your pleasures you loathe yourself, you'll realize that this is the place where you find joy right here, right here, not out there. Uh, I'll worship when my work is done, I'll worship when my pain is gone, I'll worship when my conflict is over, I'll worship when my fun is is over. Those are the four reasons people don't worship. I don't know which one is pulling you, driving you, but um, those are worship killers. And God's plan for your joy begins when you gather to worship him with others weekly. Worship is basically enjoying God together through song and through scripture. And while joy is a crisis, we learned last week, you have to be saved or you'll never find joy in this world. Uh, Your joylessness is permanent without Jesus Christ. When you get saved, you find joy. It's It's a crisis. But then it's a process where you learn the habit of joy. How can I make joy a habit? Well, jot this down. These are in your notes. First one is you have to prioritize it. You have to make it a priority. Um, The Bible says, seek first his kingdom, which means nothing cuts in line. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these will be added unto you. Don't give up meeting together. Seek Christ first in your week. Uh, make worship, make church a rock, a, a boulder in the river that is immovable, and almost nothing can can get you away from your devotion to your church family. This last week, we had the senior pastor and wives retreat in Arizona once a year. All the senior or most of the senior pastors in the Harvest Fellowship get together. We sing, we hear what God's doing. Pastor James McDonald is there, and he encourages us with a vision. For the future. I saw Pastor Brandon there this year. I have such joy because we have launched out a man who has planted a church. And just seeing him at the senior pastor retreat was so awesome. So, um, after the retreat, we took a few days and just explored Arizona a little bit. So, we went to this place called Slide Rock Park. Have any of you been to Sedona before? You have to go. Go to Sedona. You won't come back. Like, we almost didn't come back. Yeah. Check it out, though. This is a picture of a boulder at Slide Rock Park. And it is monstrous. That's not me. I just threw. That was just a picture of this boulder because some. But I wanted you to see the size of it. Uh, And it is immovable. Am I right? Push on it all day long. You won't even move it a you know quarter of an inch. And um, is is that uh, just how devoted you are to church? When people try and call you away from your church, when Something comes up that could get you out of church. Do they feel like they're moving something that is immovable? Are you that devoted to meeting together? Is it a priority? It should be. If you throw that in the river, everything else will flow around it. Make it a priority. God wants to know that he is your priority. In Revelation 2.4, Jesus talked to the church in Ephesus and he said, You have abandoned the love you had at first. And when he says first love, he means love for God and love for others. They just weren't loving him or loving other people anymore. God wants you to love him and to love others. Be here. You have to be here. I would just challenge you to make it a priority. 52 Sundays a year, if you are in town and you are healthy, you will be here. Uh, Prioritize coming to church. Next, plan. Plan. All right, I'll be there. But then plan. Arrive on time. Arrive on time. Um, we have people every week who just, you know, flow in 10, 15, 20 minutes late. You've missed so much. You've missed so much. Um, and, and I'm not, like, judging you. You know, if you're usually on time and then, you you know, something happened, you know, uh, free curling iron accident, I'm not judging you, but... <laughs> all right, but, but if it's a habit, if it's a habit, 10, 15... 20 minutes later, you're saying something. You're saying something. You're saying something to God. You know, I'll get there when I feel like it. You are. Meaning you're not planning well. Maybe you need to get up earlier. Maybe you need to leave earlier. Do you know all the planning that went into every minute of the worship service? We've been planning this service this morning for months. Every song we've talked through. And we've been we scrutinized every moment. Well, Should we start with this one or should we go with this one? Should we put this one up here? When do we pray? I mean, we have planned every part of it and and if you plan to get here on time you get to experience start to finish everything that we have really laid out as an offering to the Lord but you know if you miss a good chunk of it it's just going to be hard for you to catch up halfway through you know get here early what does that say that says I've been looking forward to this Lord uh, you know I, we we don't allow food or beverages in here so if you walk in with a full cup of coffee you'll be upset that you can't finish it before you you know so get here early if you want to drink a full cup of coffee All right? We've had people leave our church because they can't bring coffee in this worship center, and they are blessing other churches right now. Um, Really? That's a deal breaker. Uh, Plan. Very easy solution. Just plan. Get here a little earlier. Uh, Use the restroom. You need to use the restroom every day. So, so plan ahead and get here early so that you can do that. Um, in other words, form great habits and plan to be here every week. Too often we see people, it's sad, two or three times a year. Two or three times a year we see people and they come in when there's a crisis. I call it fire alarm faith. The fire alarm goes off, there's something in their life and, and they run in, fix it God, fix it God, fix it God. Uh, and we get two weeks and then they're gone again. Uh, they're not planning They're not planning. They're waiting until the last possible minute when everything's going wrong in their life and that's not the way God works. And participate. Write that down. Participate. During worship, remove all distractions. Concentrate on God. Give Him your full, undivided attention. And participation also means bring an offering. Um, I hope you know, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that God loves when His children bring an offering to Him as part of their worship. Um, but to put a little more teeth on that, if you're not giving, uh, you're not worshiping in the biblical sense. So I'm just going to say that that clearly because if you know anything about the Bible, you know that participation means you are giving to the Lord. You're not showing up empty-handed. You have a plan, a giving plan. And I would just challenge you that if you come, you, could, you can sing your face off, but if you're not giving to the Lord, there is something biblically deficient about your worship that God wants you to correct. Come into the Lord's presence. Bring an offering, the Bible says. That's what it means to participate, to show God you love him, you trust him. I hope you feel that I have spurred you on. (laughs) If that that hurts just a little bit, I'm doing my job biblically. Number one, deal with worship killers. Number two, worship Christ in spirit and in truth. Turn over to John John 4, verse 21. I get real excited when I talk about our DNA of worship as a church, because worship is one of our four pillars, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. It's a main thing that we're all about, and this pillar draws right out of John 4, 21 to 24. Worship Christ in spirit and in truth. It says this, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he's crossing a gender barrier that women and men didn't really talk exclusively back then like this. So he's crossing a gender barrier. He's also crossing a cultural barrier uh, because this is a Samaritan woman. She's half Jew. She's half Jew, which means there's racism rampantly in the Bible and the Jews and the half Jews didn't get along at all. The Samaritans worshipped differently and much of their worship was deficient theologically. So Jesus is talking to her and He says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, meaning their their mountain, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We can spend the whole time on this passage, but let me direct your attention to where it says, you worship what you do not know. He is flat out bluntly telling her her worship is false. Her worship is deficient. It's unacceptable to God. If you want to start a lively debate at your place of work, just tell someone who's not a Christian that God doesn't accept their worship. That will lead to quite a heated Debate. This is what Jesus is telling her, though. Uh, you worship what you do not know. Then he goes on to say, true worshipers will worship the Father. What does that imply? If there are true worshipers, there are worshippers. Meaning God doesn't accept the worship of people who fail to worship in the right way. Okay, well then how do I know if, if my worship is false or true? True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Ah, so true worship begins when God finds you. God seeks and finds you. He initiates it. Uh, You won't climb the highest mountain. You won't swim the deepest sea. You won't reach the highest heavens and find God on your own effort. You can't. He has to disclose himself to you or you could never know anything about him. Listen, you are spiritually helpless to find God through your own efforts. Many people treat worship as like a Lego project. They're going to self-assemble God the way they think he should be, and then they're going to bow down before a creation of their imagination. Well, will so how I think God is, and then they bow before a thought, an imaginary being who doesn't exist. They might as well be worshiping a unicorn. Because what they are creating in their mind doesn't exist, and it's much less uh, of a God than the God of the Bible. Jesus is calling people out and saying that if your worship is not grounded in the Spirit and the truth of the Father, uh, it isn't real. So God has to disclose himself, which makes us ask, how does he do that? Well, he does that in several ways. God discloses himself generally through creation. So you will learn certain things about God from creation. Um, Boy, as, as we were walking around, uh, you know, Sedona, the, just the beauty. If you've been there, you know the beauty takes your breath away. It floors you. You're like, wow, th- this is amazing. And uh, God is saying something in the beauty of creation. He's saying he's huge and he's strong. But you can only learn general things from, from, you know, nature. You can't look at, like, you know, giant redwood and learn the truth of Jesus. Okay, so you can't get saved by watching a beautiful sunset Uh, behind a mountain landscape. But you can learn about God, and you can learn that he's real, and he's awesome, and he's stronger than you. So God reveals himself in creation, but he also does it in conscience, which means he makes you aware that there are moral laws. There's right and there's wrong, and your conscience inside of you is like a smoke detector that goes off when there's sin. You know, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Uh, And arguing with your conscience is like arguing with your smoke detector. I didn't burn dinner that badly. Yeah, that argument isn't going to go well. Your smoke detector doesn't care what you think, all right? Uh, And your conscience will alert you that there is a moral law. But again, it's not specific. It's just general, and you can tamper with it. You can tamper with your conscience and force yourself to do things that you know are wrong. So again, this is just the general way he makes himself known. But he makes himself known fully through Christ. So creation, conscience, Christ. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, long ago and many ways and many times God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days uh, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. Christ is uh, the way, the truth, and the life. Now we learn about Christ through the canon, which means the Bible, the canon. God reveals himself through this book. This is God-breathed. It is inerrant, it's infallible. This, this book is inspired by God. This book does something that no other book can, and he reveals himself through the canon, and finally he reveals himself through the church. Uh, Jesus appointed us to go and make disciples. We are his body, which means we reveal the presence of Christ on the earth. This is how God's making himself known, Uh, and if we're going to worship him, we have to worship him in spirit and in the truth according to what he has revealed. Let's talk about the truth first, then we'll talk about the spirit. The truth is God must disclose himself or you can never find him. He has, and now that he has, you have to find him according to what he has revealed about himself. If you haven't found God through Christ in the Bible, whatever it is found, it isn't real. Because Jesus alone can bring us to God. Ignorance is not neutral. There are many people who don't know the truth about Christ. Uh, God will not have mercy on the ignorant. Well, I just never knew. Um, The information is lying at your feet all over. I mean, in the United States, there's just going to be no sympathy for anybody who appears before God on judgment, and they're like, I just didn't know about Jesus. You can know. You don't know because you don't care to know. Ignorance is a big problem, and it stands in the way of true worship because people don't want the truth. They don't find it because they don't want to. Um... When it comes to truth, uh, how many of you would say you grew up in a truth church where, you know, you uh, gathered for worship and you sang songs that were very true? Maybe you sang hymns that had like, you know, five verses of just deep, rich theological truth. Um, And uh, how many would say that that's kind of your background? You grew up in like a truth church. Um, And maybe there wasn't a lot of movement, you know, bodily, you know, you sang, but there, you know, it wasn't. Perceived well for you to, you know, like do one of these. Like if you had done that growing up, there would be, you know, trouble. Uh, not in every truth church, but sometimes in truth churches, the truth we're singing is kind of we're singing about God. We're singing things that are true about God. Um, and that's good, but we have to worship the Lord in truth and in spirit, uh, which means if all we bring to Him is um, heartless, truth, it's not enough. It's unacceptable to God. But we do need to guard the truth. I heard of a church once that was singing the song by ACDC, Highway to Hell, on Easter Sunday. In church. And they had their theological reasons for that, um, but it is simply um, abhorrent that you would do that and think that given the truth, of our scripture that that in any way honors or pleases God to sing a secular song that is aimed at uh, ridiculing the gospel and despising God and embracing condemnation for eternity. See, because we value the truth, we would never do anything like that here, and we would never try and reason our way into getting a bigger crowd by doing something that dishonors God. Um, so truth is important, but it says worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So it's not just truth, it's also spirit. How many of you would say you grew up in like a spirit church where there was tons of expression in the room? Maybe maybe there was just room for a lot of expression. You could move around the room, you know, you could express yourself in a hundred different ways. It was very emotional, very loud. How many of you grew up in kind of a spirit church, a spirit-led church, more charismatic, uh, more Pentecostal um, just a few of you. All right, you like raising up your hands, so go ahead, come on, do it. You can... <laughs> I'm not saying that to condemn you, I'm saying that because I need you to know that we try and draw from the strength of the truth church and the strength of the spirit church, and we don't do it perfectly, um, but we try and draw from the strengths of that because we want to worship the Lord in truth and in spirit. But if all we are is heartless, Heartless routine. No emotional expression whatsoever. It's deficient biblically. But if it turns into, and I'm not saying people over here always do this, but over here the tendency is it could turn into mindless chaos. Heartfelt, mindless chaos where there's no rules. That's a problem too because they have let go of the truth found in the scripture about worship. So we want to avoid worship that is too chaotic and we want to avoid worship that is too ceremonial, which represents the extremes of both of those sides, because heartless routine and mindless chaos are both unacceptable to a holy God. We have to worship Him in spirit and in truth, which means we actually want to feel things and show that we're feeling things on Sunday. Um, You know, singing about God... Isn't what we're doing. We gather on Sunday to sing to God, and He's alive. We sing to God. This is a huge difference. This is not a small difference, a small distinction. The difference between singing about God and singing to God is the difference between reciting the periodic table and splitting atoms. You're doing something with the knowledge, you're doing something real that's alive and heartfelt. And maybe if you grew up in a truth church, I just want to challenge you to step in the direction of emotional expression in your worship. Because God loves it when we express our worship to him. Um, You don't need to turn there, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says this, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. That means boil. Serve the Lord. Are you slothful in zeal? Or are you fervent in spirit? God has emotional expectations on your worship. Um, all right, well, come on. I'm not going to, like, cry and fall down on the floor and throw my hands in. Right, I'm not saying you have to be somebody else, but I'm saying you have, If you know, maybe you've got, like, uh, a dial that goes up to four. Maybe you've got a dial that goes up to, to ten. Whatever your dial is, you just need to crank it, All right. Just crank it. Show the Lord that you're super excited about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Now, if you grew up more in the spirit church movement, just understand that there are boundaries God has placed on your expression. That might rub you the wrong way to even think that God would tell you not to do something that you feel like doing. Um, But if you read through 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 12, 13, and 14, the big three are God wants your worship to be conscious. Conscious, God does not want you to ever become unconscious during a worship service. Conscious, he wants you to be in your right mind. He also wants you to be coherent. He never wants you to say anything with your mouth that is incoherent to those around you. Okay, your speech has to be or become coherent. Uh, conscious, coherent, and control, Meaning there never comes a point where you are completely out of control. Uh, Mindless chaos. God is a God of order. He is a God of peace, not a God of disorder. So while it might feel great for you to do something that that is casting off every emotional restraint, God is not happy with that worship. I saw a youth pastor once who had a room full of students, and they started this awesome song. And he goes, in the Bible, God called us to enter his presence. And sometimes he would ask people to take their sandals off. So reach on down and take your shoes off. And I'm thinking, man, there are junior hires in this room, boys, and they're taking their shoes off. Then, then, he, then he's like, and reach down and take your socks off while you're at it. And I'm like, all right, where's he going with this? And he goes, now, now hold them in the air and wave them around. And they were waving their socks around while they sang this song. And I'm like, that's one way to get high. But that is not the way that God wants people to worship him. All right? I mean, that is just one expression of something that is disgraceful to a holy God. you know. And they start with something theological, and they go way off the deep end Um, that is disgraceful to the Lord. Um, The bottom line is, your personal emotional experience is not the test of true worship. God's Word is. And we must worship God the way He wants to be worshipped. And He wants to be worshipped in spirit, uh, meaning, as Charles Spurgeon said, you're throwing your whole soul into it. And in truth, meaning you're not letting go of the boundaries God has set up um, in his book and given all that he is and all that he's done and all that he's promised you should come into his presence every week and worship the Lord focused on him doing nothing else in spirit and in truth now how do we know if we've done it the last thing I have for you is a question we have a lot of convictions when it comes to what we're going for together in this room and it makes our church unique all right? I'm not being elitist about this. There are many churches who do worship different ways, but they get it done in a biblical way. All right? But you need to know the way we do worship so that you can get on board with our plan. All right? Because only then will you understand what we're going for. Number three, ask yourself this question each week. Did we encounter Christ in a powerful way? That question is really important. Did we, 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 not I, did we, encounter Christ, meaning the living Lord showed up and did something special uh, in a powerful way. There are churches that would theologically disagree with this question even to begin with because they would not view it as a righteous thing to ask God to show up or do something because they would view God's presence and his work as kind of a past tense thing that's just already done. Well, He did it at the cross and so he's in you. Um, They don't understand though that Um, When you read through the New Testament, you find invitations to improve your relationship with Christ in worship. Uh, Draw near to Him. What does that mean? If He's living in you, what does it mean to draw near to Him? You see, there are relational dynamics that change and fluctuate every moment between you and God. And so we can come to church on Sunday and we can belly flop. We can be half-hearted. We can be late. We can be totally sidetracked. We can fold our arms and, and listen to a third of the message. and We can fail. I can fail. Our worship team can succeed or they can fail. To do what? To encounter Christ in a powerful way. God is present everywhere, but he's not present everywhere in the same way. We want God to manifest his presence in the gathered church in a powerful way. And we believe that if you read through books like 1 Corinthians, you find out that there are some churches where they're getting together, and God is ticked at what's happening under that roof. Angry! And then others get together, and God is there, moving in love, bringing peace recognizing that is really important in john 16 20 to 22 jesus tells his disciples about joy he specifically ties this to the resurrection uh, which is the crisis of joy but i think what he lays out is a good cycle of what's going to keep happening in your life he says in john you can turn there 16 we'll have it on the screen too verse 20 he says truly truly i say to you you will weep and lament that's because he's going to die But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But When she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Do you see how joy is permanent, right? It's permanent. No one will take it from you, but there's a cycle of finding it again. And I love what Jesus said here. It's like he's saying that to you every week. I will see you again next week. I will see you again, and no one will take your joy from you. He's inviting you to go through these seasons of anguish and sorrow and confusion, and then to come right back to him. I will see you again, and he will give you joy. That cycle will continue throughout your life. Joy is unlimited. I love the word unlimited. Cell phone commercials are using the word unlimited to show you that they'll give you unlimited data. It's a big word. Unlimited. Our um, high school and junior high students went for a lock-in a few Fridays ago to Gizmos. How many of you were at that Gizmos event uh, overnight? Yeah. You, are you awake yet? Wow. What an awesome night that was. But when we got there, I was only going to stay a little bit. And then the owner walked up to me with a card. And she's like, here you go. There's $100 on that card. You can play any game you want. And then just come up when it's over, and I'll fill it again for you. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> it's every kid's dream. <laughs> unlimited. I was there till like midnight, <sharp inhale> <sharp inhale> playing the ski ball. I was going on the go-karts. I didn't get into the laser tag, but finally I was like, I got to go home and sleep. Unlimited. This is huge. Jesus hands you joy. It's unlimited, but you have to keep coming back to him. For what? It's to be filled. Um, When you get saved, 100% of God's Holy Spirit enters into you. You can never get more of Him than you got when you were saved. You don't lose Him, right? But He can lose you. You can slip away. You, You can drift. You can grieve the Spirit. These are all relational terms. You can grieve Him. So He needs to get more of you back under His control. That's what happens. And that goes on for the rest of your life. We lose our joy, don't we? We lose our joy. We lose our joy when we lose sight of the truth of God. We lose our joy when we lose sight of the plans of God. We lose our joy when we lose touch with the people of God. And if we come into his presence every week and encounter him in a powerful way, we will go out full of joy. We are trying to become a vertical church. Many churches are horizontal. They just have a different methodology than us. What is said on Sunday morning is said in a way uh, that won't offend anybody. You know, that what do people want to hear? And we're going to share that with them. And maybe you see the Bible, maybe you don't. Maybe they just throw a little Bible verse on the screen and then take it down real quick because they don't want to offend anybody. And they're always asking, what do people want to hear? That's a very horizontal, man-centered way of thinking about church. And some churches are really good at this, better than us at getting non believers, lost people into the room, making them feel comfortable and loved and affirmed. I'm just telling you, we're different than that. All right? We're very different than that. Uh, We're not trying to become a church for people who uh, don't like God and don't like church. We're just not doing that. We're becoming a church for people who long to worship a holy God. And when people are ready to get on board with that, we move them through that process real fast. We are a vertical church. Everything we do is aimed at pleasing a holy God. And if people like it, great. If they don't, oh well. Because we want to be vertical, God-centered in everything we say, everything we sing, and everything we do. You have to understand this or you won't understand what's happening around you on Sunday morning. We have high expectations for God on Sunday morning to come and do something special. Come down, Lord. Come down and move. Speak right here. Help me. Here now. We have Huge expectations for God on Sunday, and we have high expectations for you. If a small group leader sees someone who's just doing one of these, while we're singing like "Great is Thy Faithfulness," I'm hoping that person gets a talking to in their small group. We had somebody early on when we were a new baby church during an awesome worship song. They just went like this. was going to get struck by lightning. It's like, Lord, don't hurt him. I'll get up and say so. I got up and I said something. I said, hey, some of us are failing to realize that our God is a consuming fire. (laughs) Seat B23. I was afraid for him. Hey, did we encounter Christ in a powerful way? Um, We can get there or we can fail to get there. And I hope that you come to this church every week expecting to encounter God in a powerful way. That's what we're going for. Um, I want to brag as I close here on our worship and our tech team. They work months, months and months of planning goes into every worship service, uh, especially into our big special services, Easter, Good Friday, Christmas. When you show up, they have put so much thought, so much planning into leading you into the presence of God. And just to be clear, encountering God does not mean you have some ghostly hunch. Encountering God meaning how do we know if he showed up? It doesn't mean that uh, there's some chill in the air. It doesn't mean there's some mystic coincidence. Yeah, on the way into church, a butterfly landed on my windshield. (laughs) It's not a mystic coincidence. All right, what does it mean when God shows up? Uh, It means that god works through his people to help you hear from him and experience his greatness that's it that's what i mean when i say god shows up you sense his presence your heart is filled with joy you hear his truth and and that's what you needed to hear for that day okay that's what it means for god to show up and our tech and our worship team they are the hands and the feet of christ welcoming us into the presence of god each week they're amazing they're amazing And we can honor their work. Deal with worship killers. Aim to worship Christ in spirit and truth. And then in the end, ask yourself, did you encounter Christ in a powerful way? If you make that your discipline, if you make that your delight and your joy and your weekly routine, your heart will be filled with joy like never before. Let's pray and then we'll sing together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We can so easily lose sight of who you are what you've said. We can so easily lose sight of what you're doing right now. But we want you to be our most honored guest here on Sundays. We want you to feel welcome. Uh, Jesus, we want you to be the center of attention on Sunday mornings. So help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and to find our joy in you. And we pray that we would find it in you again and again and again. In your mighty and precious name, Amen.